This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability Network. And today, <laughs> we've got a lot going on in the world, but one of the things that's accelerating, we've seen over the last few months that accelerated more and more is technology and the importance of technology, particularly in the CPA firm. I mean, right now we're doing this interview, this podcast on Zoom, okay, which is a technology, right? And a lot of people uh, are working away from their offices, which is new to a lot of uh, CPAs. So the question is, how do you stay ahead of it? All right, um, we're gonna we're talking to a great um, expert on this today, Michael Filios, who uh, kind of in, invented uh, in, kind of rephrased this whole issue and calling it tech uh, tech debt 2.0. And really, do we have do we have a liability on a balance sheet? Do we have a liability called technology? Um, have we made technology into an asset, or is technology a liability for us? And we're going to talk about that. But first of all, let me uh, welcome, very, very grateful to have you on, Michael. Uh, Michael Filios of the um, IT, I see if I get this right, IT Allele Institute? Ally. It's Ally. Ally. IT Ally Institute. Okay, that's great. We need allies in the IT world, that's for sure. So. The Ally Institute. Michael, um, welcome and uh, just give us a little bit about your background and why you see this as such an important issue today. Sure. And thanks, uh, Tom, for having me uh, today. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, um, you know, my experience has basically informed uh, this perspective. Having started out my career in finance and accounting, I never knew how important it was going to uh, be to me as I became a, a global uh, chief information officer in Fortune 500 companies and having to really understand how to speak to CFOs and to talk the accounting lingo. Um, and in this case, what we've done is we've uh, sort of merged the two together so that it would resonate with uh, folks that understand the concept of debt. Um, but clearly with all the technological changes uh, over the past three decades, which we'll talk about, um, required a, a sort of new way of thinking about debt from a technology perspective. And, uh, but my career has been in, 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 uh, as an entrepreneur, as a consultant, and of course, as a global CIO, uh, literally working for large companies all around the world, uh, including spending some time in Shanghai, China, where I was working for Delphi Automotive. So my perspectives are rather unique, having been in different functional areas like finance and IT, um, but then also as an entrepreneur and small business owner myself, I've had to rethink the way that I leverage technology, as you pointed out, particularly in the and the COVID times uh, that we operate in today. So, but thanks again for having me. Thank you. So, so this idea, and, and this is a question, we've been discussing this on this show for a while now, and, and the role of technology in the CPA profession, okay? And we all, we all know it's a huge role because we do our tax returns with technology, we do financial statements with technology. Um, and and I, I have the same question. In fact, we were looking at this in my own CPA firm just last week, is do we have a liability on our balance sheet for technology or is it an asset? And so one of the questions I'd like you to be thinking about, Michael, is how do we turn it from a, a liability to an asset? Okay, because 
you know, as I always like to teach people, the purpose of a liability is creating an asset. So in this case, if we do have a liability, it is an opportunity to create an asset out of it. And how do we do that? And how do we even know if we have a debt, a liability or an asset? So let, let's start with this. When, when you say the word tech debt, can you define that for us? How do you, how do you see that? Sure. And so let's start with uh, the historical definition, because that gives us some grounding for how we evolved it to Tech Debt 2.0. So uh, as I mentioned uh, in, in the um, leading into the conversation, technical debt itself has been a term for about three decades, but it had a very narrow definition. It was specifically discussed in the context of software and software development, where you would release software products that had known defects or bugs in them but the trade-off was to get those products to market faster. So you would incur or assume some level of debt with the acknowledgement that you would go back and service that debt at some point in time. Now, that depended upon how disciplined you were in your development practices as to whether or not that debt accrued further or whether or not you truly did go back and service that debt. Well, so effectively, effectively you were borrowing from your customer's goodwill right so you are actually borrowing from your customers saying look we're going to give you a taste of this um try to get you comfortable with the idea of it i mean let's think about windows 1.0 right that would be the best example of this here we have windows 1.0 it's a horrible horrible program <laughs> i mean just awful and we're and and but we we think that you'll like it better than than dos you know, than the, the, the original DOS version. So the Windows 1.0 is better, but we know that there's a lot of faults with it and we're just borrowing from the future. Okay, I got it. Yes, exactly. It's a great analogy. Now, um, the good news about the way it was thought about originally was that it was intentional. So we're going to get into the different types of tech debt. So, you know, taking on debt is not necessarily always a bad thing if you understand the consequences and the risks. With tech debt 2.0 that we're going to talk about, uh, that isn't always so clear. So there's different um, ways that you can accrue tech debt uh, in the more modern sense. So let's fast track 30 years uh, uh, over the course of technology when you had mainframe uh, to client server uh, into uh, the internet and now into the cloud. So you, just like you've had uh, technology uh, innovation over those past three decades, such as tech debt has also evolved over those past three decades. And that's why we felt it was important uh, and particular for small businesses, right, that don't always have access to the plentiful resources and skill sets to address this, uh, why we felt it was important to go back and revisit that definition. So coming to your question around what is Tech Debt 2.0, we've essentially expanded it beyond just software development into even purchased software, for example. It can also be hardware, um, operating systems that run that hardware. We also look at it as processes, as data, and in some cases, Tom, we're looking at it as talent, which can also atrophy in some organizations with the pace of technology yeah. change. So um, we've uh, looked at this expanded definition and therefore uh, wanted to talk about it more in a 2.0 version, something more contemporary, and quite frankly, something that's more stealthier than ever before uh, because of the pace of technology change. So that's hopefully that helps to give a little bit more context okay. around how this expanded definition works. Right. So, so a good 80% of CPAs and, and really our, our, our target market 
are um, in small CPA firms, certainly less than 20 uh, CPAs. And so what do you, what, what do you, I mean, first of all, how do you assess? Let's start with that. How do you assess whether you have a, a liability um, uh, because your technology is behind, because it's too slow, because your system's wrong? Um, you know, I, I took a leap years and years ago. I probably um, had huge tech debt in the original sense because um, I was like in the cloud before anybody was in the cloud. And, uh, and it cost us. Actually, it was very painful. We, we paid a high price for being in there um, early because we lost data, we, lost, we had downtime. And uh, so how do you even assess where you are today and then where you should be going? Yeah, so this was, we knew this was going to be important for organizations to get their arms around. So in fact, as part of the, uh, the IT Ally Institute and included in the book is what we call a Tech Debt 2.0 Diagnostic. And essentially, it's a measurement uh, system. Now, given we're in the financial realm here, you'll appreciate this. We modeled it against what you would have as a FICO score. So just as an individual would understand its credit worthiness from a standpoint of credit, we wanted to look at the worthiness of an organization as it relates to its tech debt. Is it as confusing as a FICO score? We've simplified it. <laughs> and at least the similarities are those things that you would look at in terms of uh, poor, good, fair, and excellent. You know, we use the same scale. But uh, uh, what we've done, though, is uh, evaluate 54 different criteria that make up this score. And it takes about 20 minutes to go through. So it's a self-assessment score. And it gives you a rating, very much like uh, a FICO score rating, um, from 20 to 100 is our rating scale. And that enables us to determine how well you are managing your tech debt. And just to give an example from a score that might be poor, a poor score uh, on this assessment would mean that um, tech debt is being reactively managed. Uh, it's, it's something that can impact your business performance. Conversely, a score of excellent would be, as you would imagine, it's being proactively managed and it's being done uh, together with your business and your IT professionals being thoughtful about it in terms of how we're going to improve our business, whether that's uh, being more efficient, effective, or perhaps uh, meeting customers' needs, which we know are changing uh, every moment. So, so there's a diagnostic tool that we uh, use to really get at the root causes, as we call it. We wanna really get underneath. What are the underlying root causes that potentially can create um, this tech debt on your balance sheet? So this is in your book, Tech Debt 2.0, How to Future-Proof Your Small Business and Improve Your Tech Bottom Line, right? Um, which is the IT uh, uh, Ally Institute. Um, okay, ITAllyInstitute.org. Um, so that's, that, that's the book. So what are maybe two or three of those key indicators, uh, as you would say? I mean, for example, we know, for example, in the FICO score, a key indicator is how much of your, of your available debt are you using, right? That would be a key indicator on your, uh, to say, I can get my FICO score up by using less of my available debt. That we know for sure. What are uh, two or three of the key indicators in, um, in uh, Tech Debt 2.0? Yeah, so we look at a wide range of, of areas, but a couple that, that come to mind uh, that I would call out uh, perhaps um, for this group 
One might be data, right? We all are looking at data now so much more importantly to drive decisions. So do we have the ability to get access to the data that we need at the appropriate uh, uh, level, anytime, anywhere, any device, as an example, right? How good is our data? Do we have multiple versions of the truth in our environment such that we don't rely on the data that we have or it can't be accessed easily or reported on? Um, that could be an underlying symptom where you might have some, some tech debt. Uh, another area is in the total investment that you're making in technology. Do you understand how much you are spending in technology? Um, a lot of companies that we work with, unfortunately, uh, put it in their other expense or maybe don't carve it out as such and really understand how much are we investing. And the importance there, Tom, is to really look at how much we are investing in technology to what we call keep the lights on versus those expenses or capital items that are helping us to grow our business or to be more strategic, right? So no longer can you just spend money or invest money to keep the lights on. You have to have intent to use technology more strategically. Right. So I look at it. So from a CPA standpoint, one of the things I look at is, okay, first of all, I want to make sure I've got integrity, right? Do I have integrity in my systems? Do I have redundancy in my systems? Uh, you're saying, do you even have redundancy in your data and your access to your data? So that redundancy is, is uh, but that's basically, you know, basic security. Actually, unfortunately, I think one of the challenges that we have in our profession is we're majorly at risk in our profession because we have a lot of data of, for our clients. And um, if, if we get hacked, we're in serious, I mean, we're actually in serious doo-doo, right? So I think that, you know, we have to start with security. I kind of look at it as Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You got to have the sense of security first, and then you start looking at, okay, so how do I actually turn it from a liability to an asset? So if, if, you, were, if, you, were, if you were telling a um, small CPA firm, any small business, but let's use a CPA firm since that's who's listening, um, you know, how do I turn that from a liability to an asset? What are two or three things that you would tell them? Sure. And it's a great uh, uh, topic to transition to. Of course, cybersecurity is, is, is a top of mind for, for most, regardless of size of business. You know, there's an expression, you can't manage what you can't measure. Um, so when you think about cybersecurity, one of the first bits of advice that we give to small businesses is to take stock of where you believe you might have risk right? So you've got to understand your risk because we also know in business that we take calculated risks at times. We make decisions with uh, a risk tolerance level. So you and your business, because of the fact that you are uh, uh, hosting information that's uh, personally identifiable information, or it could be more um, uh, valuable on the dark web, your risk tolerance profile might be different than another company maybe that doesn't have that same exposure. So it's all about being deliberate about managing your risk. So the well, first step is really understand your risks. So, so would you, I mean, are you suggesting that we ought to do a regular audit of, um, of our risks and our security? So this is becoming now more commonplace is that certainly, and it's a great example to use as an audit and being a former auditor with Ernst & Young, I did this kind of work, right? Now there's systems audits and compliance audits and regulatory audits that happen for companies just to be keeping themselves up to date to do business in certain industries. Um, so absolutely, we think that this is certainly at a minimum an annual certification, but you will do your own 
regular internal checkups, right? Just like you do your internal audit concept, same concept would apply. Periodically, you're going to test your systems to see if someone can get in them from the outside. There's, there's a test called a vulnerability test, for example, or a penetration test. These are very targeted tests that would tell you whether or not your systems are open to the internet and can the bad guys and the adversaries get in there. And if so, you're going to put priority on those systems, right? So this is a matter of not uh, spreading the field and playing, you know, peanut butter, spread everything, treat the same way. No, it starts first with understanding your risk, and then you build a game plan that hits those high target areas, right? Because that's where you want to not get burned. So you can't treat everything the same. So it's understanding where the risks are, prioritizing, and then having a deliberate plan because, Tom, this is not a one-and-done situation. Right. The threat landscape changes dramatically day to day, week to week. So an, a, a patch on a system that might have been fixing some vulnerability is now the next week uh, out of date and you need something else. So it's an ongoing regular cadence that companies, particularly small businesses, need to invest in and need to make sure that they don't just delegate it to their own in, internal IT or their third party IT. This starts with the business owner themselves. This is the other point I want to make. The tone at the top starts with the business owner. And if they take cybersecurity seriously, the rest of those employees will take it seriously. And um, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And unfortunately, your employees are your first line of defense. So if they are not being trained, if they are not up to speed on looking at some of the sophisticated social engineering attacks um, that, that occur, um, you'll click on that link and the next thing you know, you've got a problem. Of course, and we've, we've all seen that, right? I mean, we've all clicked on that link. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anybody that can honestly say they've never clicked on that link. And so I, I, I love that. that. That certainly is a, a, big, a big issue. One of the things that um, I looked at, so just recently, in fact, we're in the middle of an audit right now. We're in the middle of an IT, a technology audit right now. And, and the, the person doing the audit was, you know, asking, well, what's important to you? And I said, well, let me put it this way. So if we're down for an hour, that's two, uh, over 2000 to $3,000 to our bottom line if we're down for an hour. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind <laughs> when you're doing this audit because th there's a huge opportunity cost to not having your technology properly operating. So that's where I get into, look, you, you put some redundancy in those systems, that is really cheap. Um, because if you're down for a day, I mean, down for an hour, you're talking about two or $3,000. Down for a day, what if you're down for a day on October 14th? What if you're down for a day on April 15th? We had a, um, a major software vendor who a lot of, in fact, we were on that cloud at one time. Um, it's a big cloud cloud uh, vendor for CPAs that literally went down on on uh, April fifteenth. If you can imagine just how uh, uh, what a disaster that is, and we we actually talked to the vendor and we said so. And and I, I want to address this with you. We said so. Okay, what what are we doing here? Well, um, you know they lost some data, and they said, well, we don't know if we can recover that data, and I'm going. What do you mean you don't know if you can recover that data? I'm, I'm entrusting my, my entire business um, life to you, 
right? When I, when I, when I put my dad on the cloud, on your cloud, I'm entrusting my business to you. So how do you, how do you actually judge between, because I know clouds just more and more, it's the cloud. We actually went to the cloud, retreated from the cloud, went to the cloud, retreated from the cloud. How do you make that kind of decision when you've got these cloud vendors that they're okay with their tech, de their tech, their technology debt 1.0 that they're that they're going to lose, um, they're going to lose data, and they seem to be okay with that. How how do you address that as a business owner? Yeah, that's it's a it's a lot to unpack there, and it's it's a good question, um, uh, uh, and because it's a double-edged sword, right? We know the benefits of the cloud and being able to get access to an infrastructure that we never would be able to afford as our own small business. So there's a benefit there, right, that we're getting. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that one of the things that we like to do is once again, look at it from a business impact perspective. Uh, all this technology jargon and all this technology stuff always needs to lead back to a business conversation. And that's where we fundamentally see the breakdowns occurring where risk is being taken by IT without being fully understood by the business. And next thing you know, something breaks or a breach occurs or downtime occurs and everybody's running around with their hair on fire. So we've got to figure out how to have this conversation differently. Um, IT can't make decisions on risk um, because they not fully understand all the risks that the business may be willing to take on. As it relates to the cloud, um, you know, there are a lot of positives, as I said, that come out of evaluating the cloud for purposes of what you want to use it for. A lot of companies get access now to applications that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get that are being run at Fortune 500 companies that now you can get access to as a small business. So there's a good benefit there. But in the cloud, you are sharing an environment. They call it a multi-tenancy. Think of it like an apartment building. Right. You've got one apartment inside of a major building. And if that building has a leak uh, or an electrical outage, you're going to be impacted by it. So there needs to be some understanding of the agreements, the service level agreements that the cloud provider says in terms of what they're going to do in these kinds of instances. And there needs to be some periodic testing and, and they should be doing this uh, and giving you the results because they are required to be certified as a cloud provider, by the way. So you could be asking for their disclosures, their public statements, if you will, right? So put it back on them. They're financially you know, uh, uh, reliable for, their, for your data. So you need to understand where their liability starts and stops. And a lot of this should be provided through their audits. Um, so it's a matter of being prepared for these different situations, right? You mentioned an outage. Can you imagine I was running uh, Delphi Automotive uh, in, in 100 uh, plants in 30 countries developing a major automotive uh, parts for, for all the uh, automotive suppliers and, and providers that you can think of. A downtime on the plant on the line, right, that, that held up our production, you talk about impact. So these are the kinds of things that you would then look at those processes more specifically and say, let's make sure that we are we have a backup for the backup for the backup, right? It was a multi-level redundancy because we couldn't afford. That would be catastrophic for us, for our customers. And that's where it occurs. Now, we, we covered a few of these, these versions of debt. What we talked about a little bit are those different types of definitions of debt because an unplanned version of it, like you were describing, you had an outage or your cloud provider has an outage, right? That could be due uh, to uh, uh, a hardware, or perhaps it's a cybersecurity incident, right? It, it occurred, now what? We've got to understand why. Creeping is a different type of tech debt where it occurs over mm -hmm. time. So think about it gradually. This is a little bit more sinister to the tech, right? You might buy a piece of software off the shelf 
and then you customize it so that it no longer looks like what you bought. Next thing you know, you want to integrate it to another system and you can't, or you no longer be able to get support from the vendor. So this is a creeping debt um, that we've got to be mindful of. The third is intentional, where we, again, we take stock of our tech debt. We know what's on the balance sheet. We know what's in the liability section and we manage to it, right? And, and it's becoming a little bit trickier for companies today with COVID because business performance has been impacted. So they might be deferring investments, right? They might be the, kicking the can uh, down the road. And I guess to your CPA uh, uh, audience, you know, they're building a balloon payment here that ultimately needs to be serviced, right? So you've got you've to treat this like an annuity payment if it's, on your, if it's a liability. You've got to make those payments just like you're making your credit card payments or your other debt payments. You can't just uh, expect that it's going to go away. And, and that's what we wanted to teach, you know, a lot about for business owners is that take stock of what you, on, uh, what you have, and then we can build the right game plan. Right. So uh, thanks. Thanks for that. So, Michael, so one of the things that I'm always telling our investors, our clients, is that um, you, you, you know, if it's an expense, you want to reduce the amount of the expense. But if it's an asset, you actually want to increase the investment in that asset. So I'm always wanting to turn an expense into an asset. As an example, the example I always give is, look, um, our clients can think of us as an expense or as an asset, right? If we're just preparing a tax return or financial statement, we're an expense and they wanna reduce that expense. But if we're actually giving them advice and we're creating revenue for them, we've become an asset to them and they actually wanna spend more time with us and more money on us. So how do we do that with technology um, even how do we even stay up? That may is kind of a separate question, but how do we even stay up with technology so that we that what we're looking for is all right, we've taken care of our basic stuff like you've talked about. You were doing the security, we're doing the audit, we're doing all that stuff. Great. Okay. Now how do we actually take that next step and say, all right, how do we use how do we actually start looking at technology as an asset in a way to be a greater asset to our clients? Yeah, I love it. I, I think, again, you've got to get your house in order. You've got to have the basic defense mechanisms in place. But then there's so much to gain with technology as a strategic weapon that most companies don't think about it that way. I would say the first thing you should do is start with your, your customers, right? Your outside in, take an outside in approach. Don't just get too enamored with the technology itself. It's easy, right? Hey, here's a tool. We love this tool. No. What is the real business impact of that tool? And start with your customers. Your customers, when business is growing, right, and we've got good top line growth, presumably there's good margin health there as well. Business is good, right? Things are good. But customer demands are changing rapidly. And we can thank all kinds of new players over the past, you know, five to seven years, the Amazons of the world that have created expectations that we get in our personal lives. We want to see in our business to business commerce as well. So start with your customers, begin to think about if we made these investments, some targeted investments in technology, will it improve the customer experience? Will it help us grow more business? Will it help us expand? Um, we've got companies now that with all of this online remote work are now geographically boundaryless. We have the ability to service companies regardless of where our footprint is physically, right? So e-commerce is why it's booming right now is because folks are taking their products and services online and opening up channels that they never had before. And it's not because the technology wasn't there. It's not like e-commerce is new. They just never really thought of it that way. And it's sometimes it takes a, a, a pandemic or some sort of a, a event for you to wake up and think about it this way. 
Um, so, you know, always ground yourself in what's the business outcome we're trying to achieve. If you're trying to grow, we see this a lot with due diligence, Tom, by the way. Um, we work with a lot of private equity firms that buy and sell organizations. So we look at tech debt on the impact of business valuation. If we're going to buy a company and we see a whole bunch of tech debt on that, on that balance sheet, liability sections loaded up, well, guess what? We're going to have a, a tough conversation around valuation of that company because we're going to have to service that once we buy that company. Conversely, um, just to give you a preview of where we're thinking about in terms of our next book, we're thinking about it as equity. Think of tech equity. Now, all of a sudden, we've made that debt into an asset. In this case, it's equity. And that equity can be used to, to drive premiums of your business, increase the value of your business, to re remain more competitive uh, in, this, in this market, or, or again, to better serve customers and improve your growth and to future-proof you ultimately, right? So you can't just be on defense all the time with technology. You've got to go on offense, but we just want you to do it smartly. No, I, I, I love that, Michael, because what, what I see is, is that we can actually take technology and, and if you look at an asset, you're always looking at what's my return on investment, right, on that asset. And from a technology standpoint, um, we can have a negative return, that's called a liability, right? But, but the positive return can be enormous. I mean, think about this, um, you know, the purpose of an asset is either to create cash flow by by creating sales or to create cash flow by reducing expenses right but either way it's to create create cash flow well if we can reduce our expenses let's say one of the biggest issues in the cpa profession right now is uh staffing okay we're just um more people are going into technology and fewer people are going into accounting I mean, that's the fact of the matter. Some of that's because that's where the money is, but some of that's just because that's where that's what's fun. Now, if, we, if we're the actual users of the technology, then we do two things, I think. One is we reduce the amount of staffing we actually need. We expand where we can get our staffing because now we're not housebound to, um, uh, you know, Kenosha, Wisconsin or or Tempe, Arizona, or, you know, um, um, Fairfax, Virginia, right? We're not housebound there. And then on top of that, now we can start using the, the technology to reduce the number of staff we have and, re, and increase the amount of value that we produce to the clients. And on top of that, it's much more fun. I mean, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> there are people who like doing tax returns, but I'm not one of them. And, uh, you know, like our network members are not one of them, are, are, are not the people that, you know, we don't, that's not what we want to do for a living. We want to contribute to the success of our clients. And to me, it's, it's really readjusting the whole context of technology. And is it a pain? You know, is it this burden on us? Or is it this opportunity for us? And, and my, my last question to you, Michael, is how do you change that thought process? How do you, because to me, that's the most important thing we can do is change the way we think about technology. And, and, and I think in part, we need to have some successes in order to do that. So, you know, what are some steps you would suggest we take in order to change our thought process and actually have some wins? Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a conversation that I had to get into just about in every chief information officer job that I had. And largely because the finance team and, and no disrespect to my finance brethren, but many of them looked upon it as a necessary evil. They did not see technology spend. It was usually number, number two on the P&L 
in terms of uh, size behind talent and people resources was technology spend. So it was a big number. And they didn't quite fully understand that, that, that whole mindset change. Um, you know, look, there's no silver bullet in this one, right? And, and uh, this is one where you've got you've to do a couple of things. One, it's about leadership. So for one, you've got to change the conversation as an IT leader, right? You've got to be able to get out of the tech talk and into talking about business outcomes because you want to relate what you're doing as, as it relates to the overall agenda and the mission for the company, right? So that's the first thing I would say is think about how you're communicating tech and adjust the way that the language is extremely important um, when, you, when you're discussing these things. The second thing is that you pointed out, you've got to demonstrate some, some early successes, some quick wins, right? Because there's a credibility factor here. Mm -hmm. uh, most, uh, uh, most people have this opinion that IT, it costs too much, it takes too long, it never gets across the goal line on time. So you're already walking in with that disposition. So how do you how do you overcome that? Well, again, it's not just a one-time event. It's got to be a slow progress towards demonstrating uh, success, and that breeds credibility. Um, the third thing I would say is you've got to engage your business counterparts in the conversation. Don't, um, uh, when you're asked about annually, if you're doing it annually, what's the IT priorities for this year? It shouldn't just be the laundry list that the IT team came up with or your third party came up with. This should start with the business conversation, right? And the goal of the IT leader is to connect those dots, to say, hey, we're trying to grow into a new market or expand a new service. How can technology play a role in supporting that? And you mentioned something that's really important. Um, as any business leader would or functional leader would, we always should be looking to take cost out, drive efficiency, right? We always should be, right? That's, that's, that's part of our job, right? Is to reduce our operating expense. However, what I would say in IT, I got into a lot of uh, debates with CFOs at times when I said, if I generate some efficiency and effectiveness out of my budget, for whatever reason and how I did that, I wanna reinvest those savings, okay? And put that money and self-fund my, my expense in a way and change the conversation as best as you can to show that we can't just continue to run at the same level and expect we're gonna get the strategic asset value from this investment without changing the mix. Uh, it's just like anything. So. Um, so this is a conversation I, I get very excited about and one that can probably take up a whole session in and of itself, but uh, um, it, it really is important. And, and, and part of it is why we wrote the book, right? Why did I take the time to do this? Is looking at my decades of experience and trying to impart some of that like you've done and, and try to help people have some tools, uh, change their dialogue or have at least know where to go for more help uh, because this is something that's only gonna get more challenging as we, and the pace of change is gonna happen even more rapidly. We're not gonna be talking about decades, you know, of, of technology innovation and revolution. We're gonna be talking about it in the, in the context of, of months and years where things are going to evolve as we're seeing with the pace of play today. Michael, and um, you know, I, I love this idea of measuring it and measuring the reward. And maybe that's where the, big, the, the, the wins come is, is we look at, okay, we look at our technology, we go, what has that done for us financially? One of the big issues I think we have in our, in our, in our industry is that we pass those, we pass those savings on to our customer. We don't take advantage. We don't keep those savings. One of the things that uh, I, I tell members all the time is, is that maybe you ought to consider actually even passing the cost onto your customers. Um, you know, th this is a cost that's saving them money because it's taking you less time. 
So it actually reduces the amount of, uh, you know, the cost of your tax return, it reduces the cost of your financial statements. We're reducing the amount of time. So why are we taking on that expense and passing on the savings? That's one thing I would say. That's an immediate hit. You know, maybe there ought to be a technology fee, for example, on your tax return fee. Um, but on top of that, okay, now let's look at if we did these things with technology, what would be the reward? Okay, so return on investment, measuring that return on investment, like you say, if it's not, not measured, right, then, you, you know, it's not going to happen. It's, it, that's where, you know, if you don't step on the scale, you're never going to lose weight, right? So um, it's a balance. It's a balance for sure. I would just say, uh, uh, just to that point, is that I've also seen examples where if that investment doesn't have a positive ROI, or if it doesn't meet the hurdle rates inside of a company, it doesn't get funded. And it's not always as black and white as that. So it does need to be an input into the conversation. But if you just rely solely on that, there's a lot of good investments you wouldn't be making potentially because um, they could be solving a different problem. I, I think part of it is, is recognizing that not all um, assets uh, increase income. Some of them reduce expenses. And if we're reducing expenses, that also qualifies as a return on investment. Just like uh, when we go to our clients, look, if we're reducing your taxes, we're not bringing income into your, into your company, but we are adding to your bottom line. Okay, so that is still a return on your investment. To me, it's the same. Or thing. reducing risk. Or reducing the risk, right. Just, just taking the risk off. I mean, like we say, we call it sleep at night right? <laughs> There's a sleep at night factor um, that, you know what, if you don't have to worry about the IRS, for example, you can sleep at night. If you don't have to worry about your IT, you can sleep at night. And there's, that's definitely a return on investment, even if it's not a monetary return on investment, though I would argue that there's probably a monetary return on you having less stress. Um, but with that, um, okay, the, uh, the name of the book is Tech Debt 2.0, How to Future-Proof Your Small Business and Improve Your Tech Bottom Line. Michael Filios at ITAllyInstitute.org. And thank you, Michael, um, for your time. Very much appreciate it. Thank you for writing the book um, because I, I, I know I'm going to use the book. I'm going to use it in my company. And uh, I encourage everybody to go out, get this book. You know, <laughs> books are a pretty cheap way to get started and to get some education because getting education is what it's all about when we get educated on technology just like when we uh, educate our clients on uh, taxes and and finance what happens is is that we're always going to build better clients a better practice and a better life we'll see you next time you've been listening to the wealth ability for cpa show Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>